Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. You know, every time we gather, um, it's very easy for us to mistake what's going on. What really matters this morning is what the Holy Spirit decides to do. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would now fill this place with your spirit, that no matter what we came for, uh, we would leave with what you have for us, that we'd hear your voice, that we'd sense your presence, that we'd experience healing and restoration and forgiveness. Work powerfully, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Judah was sitting having lunch when Reuben stuck his head in the door. Hey, we just heard that rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, is back in town. We're going to go over there. We thought we could take Dan. Maybe he'd heal him. Dan was a childhood friend of Reuben and Judah. They'd grown up in Capernaum fishing and praying together. When they were nine, Dan had gotten a terrible fever and ended up paralyzed. Been about 10 years. Now he just had his own corner in Capernaum where he lay on a mat and begged. You really think he can be healed? He's just skin and bones. All of his muscles have just kind of disappeared. Reuben thought for a few seconds, yeah, I, I really believe this rabbi can heal him. Yesterday I heard that he healed a leper. He actually touched him and the leprosy just fell right off his face. It was amazing, people said. This is the least we can do for Dan. You know he'd do it for us if the situation were reversed. So they rounded up two more of their friends and they hurried to Dan's corner where he was lying on his mat. Dan, we're going to take you to Jesus to heal you. Dan smiled. I'd actually been hoping somebody would take me to Jesus. Judah and the others each grabbed a corner of Dan's mat and started walking hurriedly toward the part of town where Simon lived, Simon Peter, but everyone was heading that way and everybody was faster than they were because they were carrying Dan. People kept bumping into them. One guy even pushed him and, hey, said Judah. He wanted to run after the guy and find out what kind of a jerk pushes somebody who's carrying a cripple. Huffing and puffing, they arrived in the street outside Simon's house. Judah's heart sank. There were hundreds of people and they were packed right up against the house. There was no way they'd get Dan anywhere near Jesus. Everyone was shushing each other so they could hear Jesus. He was telling a story. Judah could see Reuben was really disappointed. Then all of a sudden, Reuben's face brightened. Hey, follow me, I have an idea. So they carried Dan. Reuben led them up the hill away from the lake and then to the right and then back to the right again to the back of Simon Peter's house. There weren't hardly anybody there. You couldn't hear Jesus from there. Reuben led them quietly up the stairs on the side of the house to the roof. There were a few children up there looking down on the crowd. Okay. Tie your cloak to a corner of the mat. Then we will take off enough roof tiles and lower Dan down right in front of Jesus. Now Judah wondered if that was a very good idea. On the way over, they'd heard that a bunch of big mucky muck religious leaders from Jerusalem were there, kind of checking Jesus out. But Reuben and the others were already moving, so Judah joined him. The first tile kind of scraped as it came loose and dust and dirt that had been kind of wedged in between the tiles by the wind fell down into the house all over the religious leaders and Jesus. 
As they removed more tiles, the dust was kind of suspended in the air and sunlight was going in and, and Judah could see and hear the religious leaders coughing and some covering their eyes and moving as far away from the hold as, hold as they could. Quickly, they, they grabbed their cloaks and lowered Dan down. They had to lie on the roof and reach down all the way with their arms just to be able to lower him to the floor at Jesus' feet in front of the religious leaders. Jesus looked up at Reuben, then he looked over at Judah, then, then he smiled. He looked at Dan, my son, your sins are forgiven. Everything stopped. Now, Judah had been taught since he was a boy that only God could forgive sins. Even Judah knew it was considered blasphemy if you claimed to forgive people when only God could do that. The dust had mostly settled, and as he looked at the religious leaders' faces, they were angry, irritated, offended. Jesus said, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to Dan, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And as Judah watched, his childhood friend turned over, stood up for the first time in 10 years. Then he rolled up his mat, and walked out the door. And immediately the crowd was talking and shouting, praise God, glory to God. We've never seen anything like this. Jesus looked up at Judah, stunned. Judah said, thank you, Rabbi. Thank you for healing my friend. Judah jumped up, raced down the stairs to join Dan and the others. We're in a series about the beauty of Jesus. And my hope is that You'll be attracted to the Jesus that you see as we talk about different encounters that he had with people. Now this week, as Betsy mentioned, Billy Graham went to be with the Lord. Billy was a man of integrity. He was one of the most respected Christian leaders of all time. He actually preached the gospel face-to-face in stadiums and elsewhere to more people physically face-to-face than anyone in the history of the world. Both to honor him and God, I want to show you part of a video that was prepared to celebrate his 90th birthday as he was moving toward turning 100, his 100th year, so to speak. Also, see if you can remember the three things that Billy's going to urge us to do. I've been praying that we might have a spiritual awakening, but I think that becomes possible only as individuals surrender their lives afresh and anew to Christ and live the Christian life wherever you are. First, we do everything we can to follow in the steps of Jesus. We're to live a life in which we love one another, we help one another, we live according to what Jesus lived. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us live that new lifestyle which is one of love, gentleness, and patience, and all of these things that are the fruit of the Spirit. Secondly, you read His Word every day, the Bible. I know it's very difficult, but you need to start somewhere. And I'd suggest you start with the Gospel of Luke and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, start with the very first verse. In the beginning, God. 
and study those passages. Make the Bible your source and your authority. Quote it frequently. Let its message be your message. Study it, meditate upon it, memorize it, trust its promises. The Word of God itself has power. And the third thing, go to your knees and pray until you and God have become intimate friends. I cannot describe to you the joy and the peace that He gives to you as a result of that daily routine that you have in prayer. Is there a lack of power in your life? Perhaps you have neglected the preparation of your life. We've neglected prayer. We've neglected God's Word and the feeding of our own souls. Whatever it is, confess it, forsake it, repent of it, and then walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and gain victory over it. And may God today lift our vision and may the power of the gospel break upon our world with fresh force as we are obedient to Christ's call to repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Hallelujah. I would be very surprised if there aren't at least one or two people in this church family that uh, were actually introduced to Jesus by Billy Graham. He's had that big of an impact. You know, in the English language, our convention is to say he was a great man. But God's Word tells us that he is a great man still. Jesus made it very clear to the Sadducees when they asked him that no one has ever ceased to exist. And Paul makes it very clear that how godly you become in this life matters for all eternity. He makes that clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 1 Timothy chapter 4. So Billy urges us to do three things. Did you catch them? First, to live out what you say you believe. Be like Jesus by loving people, having the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And he said, read the Bible daily. And he said, pray regularly so that you become intimate friends with God. Now, we've recently invited everyone to join a small group. Um, it's not too late. Talk to me or Joanne or send us an email, and we're still organizing some of the groups. We're getting that figured out. I sent an email out to everyone who's in a small group this week. Uh, if you didn't get it, let us know. And although different groups are studying different topics, I'm asking everyone to include developing the habit of either praying or reading the Bible for at least five minutes a day. That's actually easier than what Billy said, because he said do both. Um, I'm also asking everyone to pick a character quality to develop and spend at least five minutes a day intentionally do that, and I'd, I'd like to help you with that. Uh, so this is very similar to what Billy urged. It's actually what pastors and Christian leaders have urged down through the centuries, because your habits and what you intentionally focus on have a huge impact on the person you are becoming. If you do what everyone else is doing, it will not serve you well. If you're not in a small group, I hope you'll prayerfully consider joining one. If you are in a small group, I hope you will prayerfully consider letting me pastor you and how you use 10 minutes of your day each day. And if you decide to let me pastor you for 10 minutes of your day, 
Just send me an email. You can get my email easily off the church website so that I can send you some materials that you can pick from that I think will help. Would you open an app or a Bible to Mark chapter 2? I'm going to read the passage that um, I was describing to you earlier. Of course, I added a lot of things to try and kind of help us understand what life was like in the ancient world. My account is not authoritative, um, but here I'm going to read to you the actual, reliable, biblical account, starting at the verse 1 of chapter 2 of Mark. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let, him, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus, Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I've been asking you each Sunday to take the narrative that we look at, like the one we just read, and then share it, tell it in your own words three times to people, and they can be you know, safe people at home. I'm not asking you to memorize the narrative. Just kind of hit the main points in your own words. Now, why am I urging you to do this? What could you possibly gain from doing that that you don't gain from just listening to me read it or reading it yourself? You will be more impacted, impacted more powerfully if you will tell these narratives to others. For most of human history, that's what people did. They didn't have a book. They, they were told things and they memorized it and then they told it again. They ta talked it out loud. They said it out loud. They meditated on it. They especially told the stories to their children. Now, most of us in our educational system, we were actually discouraged from memorizing things. We were told, no need to memorize it, just know where to find it. Now, God tells us in the first chapter of Joshua that we are to meditate on his word day and night, and that meant that they, they had to memorize it, parts of it. Hebrew boys would memorize large, large parts of the Torah, and uh, they'd tell them out loud and discuss the meaning. If you will do that prayerfully and ask the Holy Spirit to use that habit, then he will mold your thoughts, your perspective, your attitudes, even your desires. So I highly recommend that you memorize parts of the Bible, which is, you also probably caught that in Billy Graham's video. However, I realize that as a culture, we have not been trained to memorize. So I want to make it easier but still give you the opportunity to experience some of the ways that God will use even a paraphrase of his word. 
He'll use it to instill in you a deeper sense of the beauty of Jesus so that you will be more attracted to him than ever and love him more than ever. When you learn a story and you then tell it to others rather than just kind of read it, it will impact you more powerfully for at least three reasons. First of all, it will become more greatly lodged in your long-term memory if you do that. Secondly, it will then begin to shape your attitudes and feelings to a greater degree than if you simply read it. And thirdly, if you are telling the narrative of something that you believe is historically accurate, they're actually finding that that then reinforces your confidence in that. It increases your faith. So this is why I'm asking you to tell these narratives in your own words to people several times as part of a spiritual exercise as you pray and ask God to impress upon you the beauty of Jesus. I hope that's clear. hope you'll do it. I'm asking you to trust me on this and put it into practice this week. I know that if it's something you've never done and most of you have never done this, that it can be uncomfortable at first. Push past that discomfort. Push past your own resistance. Tell the story to some people. It could be as as simple as this for this one. So Jesus was teaching in a home and this huge crowd was there pushing in on the door and four guys came carrying this paralytic on his mat. They couldn't get in so they went up on the roof and they took off some tiles and they lowered him down in front of Jesus and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven but that made the religious leaders there really mad so he said, well, is it, easier to just say get up and walk with your mat so he proved that he had the authority to forgive sins by saying get up take your mat and go and the paralytic got up took his mat and left and everybody was praising God and amazed because they'd never seen anything like that now that's about 45 seconds okay you can do that you've noticed we've now told you today this story three times okay let it lodge in your long term memory share it talk to it with each other See what difference it makes in your life. So how beautiful is Jesus to you? Now, one of the things that attracts a lot of people to come and worship is because life isn't going very well. Probably about a third of the people here on any given Sunday, they're just really going through it. And we often experience life as ugly. Because we live in a fallen world, there's war and terrorism, there's oppression, there's disease, there's violence, there's greed, there's hate, and those things, if they don't destroy us, sometimes destroy the people that we love. Now the Bible says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. All of this stuff that causes us pain, it all comes from being in a fallen world under evil influence, and Jesus is working on getting rid of it all. He's going to make a new world where all things will be new and where our experience of life will always be beautiful. But first, he needed to voluntarily die and experience the punishment that we deserve so that we wouldn't have to. And because of that, much of his life as he was walking around with his disciples, he sort of kept his identity secret because he needed to go and die. Yet, what we see in these beautiful passages about him is that wherever he goes he just brings restoration and forgiveness and healing with him whether it's accepting a simple fisherman like Peter or touching a leper and healing him or forgiving a prostitute whom nobody else will accept he just brings 
this newness and restoration with him wherever he goes. He doesn't heal everyone. He walks around on earth for about 33 years or so, and while he's doing that, there are millions of people all over the planet. Half of their children die by age 10. Many of the women die in childbirth. Famine kills multitudes every few decades. Wars kill their young men. In the Roman Empire alone, 20 to 30% of the people were slaves. And much as Jesus would like to heal all of the world's ills immediately, he knows that to restore the world and make things all new, he must first die for our sins. But it's almost like he can't contain himself. Everywhere he goes, he also starts restoring people and healing people and casting out demons and giving them victory over the ugly evilness of the world. Now, do you find that attractive? Now, I'm sure, you know, always in a crowd like this, I just assume there's some people there, you know, they're kind of looking at Jesus. They're not yet determined. They haven't yet decided to become his follower. When you look at these things, does that, is that appealing? Is that attractive? Does that... Do you look at that and go, I'd, I'd like for that to be true about God. I would find it attractive if I became convinced that God came to earth among his creation, died for his enemies so they could be forgiven and adopted into his family and made new. The Apostle John was with Jesus for three years. He was the youngest disciple. And when he eventually wrote his gospel, he said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory, grace, truth. John was deeply impressed with the beauty of Jesus after walking around with him for three years. In chapter one of Hebrews, it says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but but he was very impressed by the beauty of Jesus. Now, Peter's house in Capernaum may well have been, it's the best candidate for Jesus' base of operations when he moved from Nazareth to make his base in Capernaum. So he may very well have been staying in Peter's house, and that may have been Peter's roof that got removed, and Peter's sitting there watching as all the dust comes down in his house. Like John, Peter observed Jesus for three years, how he interacted with people, how he taught tirelessly and cast out demons and healed and walked on water and calmed a storm. And he even saw him on the mountain when he was transfigured and was actually radiantly impressive in terms of his beauty. And when Jesus eventually asked Peter who he is, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter will later, in Peter's simple style as a fisherman, become one of the head disciples. He will write the following in 2 Peter. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Glory and goodness. Peter's impressed with the beauty of Jesus. I hope hope the beauty of Jesus is growing on you. I hope you'll take some time today, this week, and just, just sit with God and ask him 
to show you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, just ask him to increase that. And if you aren't yet a follower of Jesus, just ask God to show you if it's true. He does that. Maybe he'll do that for you today. Now in today's text, four men bring a paralytic to Jesus and Jesus heals him. And in in verse five, we'll put it on screen, it says, and when Jesus saw their faith. Now usually if you've read much of the gospel uh, accounts, it's usually Jesus will see the faith of a blind man or the faith of a centurion. It's the person that's being healed or the person that's asking him. But here it's the faith of the people bringing the paralytic. See, the man couldn't come to Jesus on his own. But his friends believed enough and cared enough to carry him to Jesus. It's a great metaphor. When I was an atheist, my grandmother was praying for me almost every day. There was a sense in which I was spiritually blind and paralyzed, you could even say dead, and she carried me to Jesus on her prayers. Are there some people in your life that need you to do that for them? Would you like to be part of a miracle like that? The privilege of bringing someone to Jesus and seeing them healed or seeing them become his follower. Would you like to be used by Jesus to make a difference? To lay them at Jesus' feet. I want you to notice a couple of things about the friends of this paralytic. First, they were willing to be interrupted. Hey, Jesus is back in town. They, they cared enough about their friend and believed enough in Jesus to drop everything and carry their friend to Jesus. Second, they were not to be denied. Now, most people would have given up, but they took apart the roof. Most people would have been embarrassed. They cared a lot more about their friend who needed Jesus. And third, they believed in Jesus. Jesus saw their faith. They were the ones that grabbed the paralytic and laid him at Jesus' feet because they believed that all they had to do was lay him at Jesus' feet and Jesus would do the rest. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus still does miracles, that he answers prayers, the prayer wreath back there around the corner, every ribbon in answer to prayer? He is still as beautiful today as ever. And he's still healing and restoring lives. Now perhaps you personally need healing today. And sometimes first you have to experience healing and restoration for you to have your faith grow so that you can then bring other people and lay them at the feet of Jesus. You know, that day in Capernaum, there were undoubtedly some people who loved people who needed a touch from Jesus, who needed to be healed or have a demon cast out or forgiven. But they didn't interrupt their day to take the person they loved to Jesus. Are you willing to be interrupted by surprising opportunities that God gives you? Jesus told the following story. A farmer went out and he started spreading seed on his land. Some fell on the path and the birds gobbled it up. Some fell on rocky soil, thin soil, sprouted up but no roots. The sun came out and it withered and died. Some fell in among a bunch of thorns, some weeds, and as it grew up was choked and died. And some fell on good soil and it grew up and it gave a lot of fruit. And then Jesus explained the, the parable to his disciples. He said, well, that, 
The, the seed is the word of God and some falls on the path and Satan just grabs it. The person doesn't even understand it. Some falls on very shallow soil. A person says, whoo-hoo, but then they don't put down roots and when temptation or persecution or tribulation happens, they wither and die. And some falls among thorns, he said, which is seed that it grows up and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the life. No fruit. And some falls on Good soil, that's the seed that falls on hearts that receive it and they bear fruit. Jesus tells us that sometimes people let their faith and experience of God get choked by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Like weeds choke and destroy a plant. You, you know that we're very prosperous and it's a blessing and we're living longer than ever. But our prosperity gives us lots of options, good options, many of them, on how to spend our time. Will you allow yourself to be led astray by the cares of this world, to be deceived by the deceitfulness of riches? Or will you interrupt your day to spend time with Jesus and sometimes to bring people to him? The more you perceive the beauty of Christ, the more attracted you will be to Him. The more attracted you are to Him, the more you will be willing to spend time with Him. As Billy Graham said, pray that God might become your intimate friend. Would you please bow your head and just close your eyes. I want to talk to you for a moment with, and then I'm going to ask you to pray. We're, we still live in a broken world. It's flawed, it's damaged. We're flawed and damaged. And sometimes it's just uh, more pain than we can bear and it feels like Jesus is taking an awful long time to make all things new. But I assure you, he is going about it in exactly the best way. He is redeeming perhaps billions of people and adopting them into his family. But in the meantime, we often suffer. It can be too much for us, but he wants to bear your suffering with you. And just like he healed people and restored and forgave people wherever he went, he still heals, he still heals and restores and forgives wherever he goes and he's here right now. So I'm going to ask you to just spend a few moments silently and tell him what you need. Maybe you have a major health issue or an addiction. Maybe you have some disobedience in your life and you need power. Maybe you're having trouble forgiving someone. Ask him for what you need. One of the beautiful things about Jesus is that he is the healer, the powerful healer. Ask him for what you need.
And now as the band comes to lead us in worship, I'm going to ask you to pray silently and tell God what you plan to do this week. Whether or not he's welcome to interrupt you, whether or not you will dedicate some time to him each day to pray, whether or not you'll talk with him and let him hear from you just what you find beautiful about Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to each heart here, that you would heal, that you would give grace, you would give power. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And now, some parting words from Pastor Rick. Jesus is the healer. He's the Lord of the universe. He's making all things new, but we're in that middle time when not everyone we ask for is healed, not everyone we ask to extend their life that happens. There are many things that don't happen, but he is answering prayers constantly. He is intervening in so many ways, in part just because he cares, and in part to show you that you can trust him, that he's real. And even when things are difficult, he promises that he will use them ultimately for your good. So ask. He said, ask and you will receive. He said, ask that your joy may be full. And then see God's power. Would you receive God's spirit today that you might have all the power you need both to pray in his authority and to see yourself or others heal, but also that you might walk in the fullness of life that you might have all the power you need for victory over whatever it is that is bothering you. God bless you. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.